0: You're listening to Conversations
1: of Inspiration with Ben Moore and Scott Gunn on the EXP podcast. The show that brings you expert insights from those who have had an exponential impact on their industries. They say that success leaves footprints. So
0: take a walk with us as we explore all things growth, business and mindset every Monday from 7 a.m. Sit back, relax and enjoy today's show. Three, two, one. Good morning, mate.
1: Hi Ben, how you doing? Yeah,
0: I'm okay. I'm just about over the Christmas do hangover. How about you?
1: I've got a fresh one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, hangover would be exaggerating a little bit. But I had a few, few little uh, straight Jack Daniels last night, watching a Christmas film. So um, you know, and it just knocks about twenty percent of you off, <laughs> just yeah, enough yeah. to be be operating. I'm operating at like about seven out of ten today, but enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. That's what December's about. So.
0: Well, mate, tis the season.
1: Absolutely, yeah. But the Christmas party was great, mate. I absolutely loved every minute of that. Um, Quite surreal, though. Did you find that?
0: Yeah, it was... uh, Yeah, it definitely was. It's like we said i think we had a bit of a catch up after one of our get togethers a couple of months ago and we said just how strange it was having only seen people through social media or zoom calls or whatsapp yeah. messages to kind of have everyone in one room at the same time it was it was amazing great energy but you know i kind of found i don't know how you found it i felt as though my night was full of really nice book short 10 minute conversations with everyone rather than spending any quality time with anyone. So I kind of feel like this. Yes. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? There's people that I, I wish that I could have spent a lot more time with or people that I barely just, you know, said hello and then disappeared that, that I'd rather I'd like to be spending a lot of time with. So hopefully plenty of opportunity to catch up and do more of the same into the new year, mate. But no, it was a really good event. Really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Likewise, likewise, um, I've, I don't know if I've ever been in a room with 200 estate agents and there was no, none of that sort of competitiveness, none of the the one-upmanship. Everyone was just genuinely happy to see each other, right? Which um, I, I naturally wasn't expecting because I've been to work dues before and normally it's about who's top dog and that kind of thing. And it's just none of that, which was... Um, which was refreshing. So yeah, but like you, I was exactly the same. I felt a bit overwhelmed by it. Um, Sort of at one point just stood in the corner, sort of just looking around trying to take it in and just thinking, go back two Christmases ago. And there was like seven of us. I think we had 11 properties on the market. Now there's 200 and whatever people in one room and best part of about 2000 properties between us, which is just insane. But um, yeah, nice to take it in.
0: No, definitely. Your, your post that you did a couple of days after was eye-opening because you said exactly that, didn't you? Like, you know, Christmas dude number one was seven of us. Christmas dude number two was in lockdown so it was like a virtual conference with 50 of us and randomly Chesney Hawks for some reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly Christmas do number three, it's, you know, 200 plus amazing agents in one of the best hotels in London getting together and having a merry old time. But it was great yeah. to see that and we'll move on from this in a second because I know this just sounds like, you know, we're spewing up on people who aren't yeah EXP. Told, yeah. But those people who are in EXP will know exactly what I mean when I say this, that it was good to see that virtual culture. So the culture that we see on workplace, the culture that we see in our and meetings, um, the culture that we feel on Zoom calls, it was great to see that translate into the person and it wasn't yeah. lost in translation. And it really, really was a, a really good energy around the room. So I don't know, I, I always think that, you know, I'm a big fan of education, love podcasts, love meetings, love conferences, love videos, all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, the best lessons and the best relationships are formed over, you know, a, a pizza at 3 a.m. or a tequila at eleven p.m. You know, that that that's yeah. where the best relationships are formed. So yeah, it was great yeah. after a crazy year or so. It was good to see so many friendly faces, mate. So uh bring on next year.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, who knows where we'll be at, but exciting. So yeah, agree with you, mate. Um cool. So
0: today, mate, we're gonna have a bit of a catch up, really, on some uh, some frequent questions that have come in over the course of the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, again, I know I've said this a few times, but I always feel as though if something's been asked. Um, by one person no doubt there's more people out there wondering the same thing and they've just not put their yeah. head above the parapet and also you know if something's worth saying it can't be said enough so um, I know we've got a couple of questions each to kind of go through today and kind of break down and sort of unpack um, but I just wanted to kick things off with maybe something that is going to be at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, regardless of whether setting up their own agency is a goal for 2022, or whether they're kind of firmly on the front line at the moment trying to grow their business. And that question comes around leads. So something that I've quite commonly been asked is, I want to generate leads and build my business, but... I'm really conscious of budget and I've not got a whole lot of cash to kind of fund that exercise. So what's the best way to generate leads on a budget, basically? So yeah, I just wanted to get your take, Scott, in terms of what you'd recommend to someone who was really, really, really watching their pennies, didn't have any properties. What would your advice be coming out the traps to get basically listings without breaking the bank?
1: Yeah, I think think when you first start, you should be prepared to, wear out the soles of your shoes to be honest with you um you know probably for me one of the one of the biggest lessons i learned the other evening at the christmas do last time i mentioned it um i've got the opportunity to sit next to um ian win jones who um as we know internally has got the biggest pipeline at the whole of exp really really successful agent um pipeline it's over 200 it's significantly over 200 it's like touching on 300 yeah. It's an insane amount of money. And I think the biggest eye opener for me was, and and I've got here before, you know, I've developed a pipeline and got lazy before. I, I won't be the only agent to do that. But the biggest lesson for me is the fact that Ian has got the biggest pipeline at EXP yet. I know that the Monday after the Christmas party, he was still out there wearing out the soles of his shoes. He's still out there door knocking. He's still out there prospecting, posting leaflets mm-hmm. Um, talking to people in his community you know the guy is still working every hour of every day as if his business is brand new and you know the eye-opener for me there was how many people are prepared to do that I'm actually not prepared to do that it's the truth you know once I'm two years established I want to be able to run off my own steam so I'm not necessarily saying that anyone needs to completely copy his model because he's just driven to hit these insanely big numbers but it, it still crossed my mind. I wonder how many people are prepared to do that day one when you've got this guy that's doing it one year in with the comfort of that huge pipeline. He's still out there knocking on doors and talking to everybody he can in his community. You know, I know that he's introducing himself when he buys his coffee in the morning to the person who buys it. I know he's, when he's getting his hair cut, he's making sure they know he's an estate agent. Um, and that is a very, very cheap form of marketing. It costs you time and a bit of energy, and you've got to be self-motivated. Um, but I think there's a massive amount to learn from people like Ian.
0: No, definitely. There's um, there's an old saying um, from the boxing world, a guy called Marvin Hagler, who was a boxer back in the day, world champion. He used to say, when you get to the pinnacle of the sport, it's difficult to stay there because it's hard to get up for your 6 a.m. hill sprints when you're wearing silk pyjamas. And um, yeah. that that's kind of the exact same analogy I'd, I'd used for what you just described with Ian, because, you know, he's banked a lot of cash. He's got an incredible pipeline. I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that Ian could be doing over a million pound if he's turning that maybe once a quarter, even three, three and a half times a year over the next 12 months. And yet he's still working as though he's not got a pot to pee in and is at day one in the business trying to hustle and and get those instructions so you know it's not coincidental you look at the people who reach those pinnacles and they just continue to build they've just got a focused relentless work ethic and i think as unglamorous as that is I think that is often you know, the reality that there's no substitute for doing the hard yards and rolling your sleeves up and doing what's necessary. But yeah, you're right. A lot of Ian's business comes from relationships. It comes from people who know of him in the, in the communities that he serves. It comes from door knocking. I know that when I've spoke to him in the past, he's always a massive fan of that strategy, um, which obviously we spoke about before. You know, people are for it or against it, but wherever you sit, there's no arguing that it is effective. And Ian gets a lot of instructions from simply knocking on people's doors and introducing himself. So I think that's a great way to get free business effectively. Like you quite rightly said, that doesn't cost you anything, yeah, but, 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 but time and effort.
1: It's, it, it depends you know the question was quite specifically what do you do if your budget's lean and I think you know you can adapt you can adapt your business you know if you if you get to the position where you can have a thousand pound a month marketing budget two thousand pound a month marketing budget then I would I would give a different answer to that question I think I think there, there are other ways to do it um, but door knocking is free and door knocking is something that you can do today to influence your business today and there's not much you can do with with that sort of short term, quite instant reaction as well. So, for me, if you're on a limited budget, that's something you can do. Um, social media. I've never spent a penny on social media. That's free. Um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll I'll trust in you, Ben, to give the advice about how someone should kick off their sort of social media side of things to win business. You know, that's the difficult thing is all of us, probably everybody joining is using Facebook, so I don't need to be showing how to use a timeline, how to add a photo. But moving your Facebook into the direction of monetizing that network can sometimes be a little bit alien, can't it?
0: Yeah, it can. Before, before I go into what my sort of knee-jerk reaction to that would be, I just want to pick up on what Chris Target said on the podcast, you know, a couple of weeks back when he was in Vegas and Chris kindly filled in and, and had a chat with us about social media. He had this kind of concept that um, whilst door-knocking is an effective strategy – why don't you knock on the doors of the local businesses, open up a conversation with local business owners, and instead? ask them what you can do to help them grow their business or maybe get them on camera to give them some exposure and chat and interview them and find out about their story or their offers and their promotions. And one thing that he said was be selective with the businesses that you approach. In other words, you know, don't go to a Morrison's to interview the butcher behind the counter, because it's going to be very difficult to get any leverage from that for them to remember who you are, for them to share that to their channels, because they're simply too big. But if you go to Scott Gun Butchers or Scott Gunn's Bakers you know a local family business that's been on the high street for generations then they're going to be really appreciative of the time that you're taking to learn about their business and also share their story and therefore because you're being helpful to them and because you're making them feel a bit special they're going to remember you and keep you front of mind the next time someone's queuing up for a pasta and they overhear someone saying bloody hell I really need to think about selling my house I need to move by June they're going to say oh go and check out Ben go and check out Chris go and check out Scott because yeah. you've built yeah that kind of relationship equity. So I think that's, again, something that's that's free, something that's quite nice, something that you'd enjoy doing and something that doesn't cost um, you yeah. anything, but, but but a bit of effort, you know? Um, so I think in terms of a, a content medium, that that's a great place to start to form those relationships, but also to give you some great content for your channels to help build your business in the right way. Um, and I think when it comes to getting organic business from social media, for me there's no better place to start than the local chat groups and we've said this before but again if something's worth saying it can't be said enough you know those local groups regardless of what they're there for regardless of your perceptions and how you've interacted with them in the past the reality is is that they tend to be a hub where thousands of local residents will connect they'll exchange messages and comments they'll share stories they'll bitch they'll whine they'll moan they'll share nice stories and you know developments in the community and I think it Pays well for you as a local business owner to be seen in those local groups because that's going to hack their audience. If they've got 20,000 members in the local faction community support group, if you can get a small percentage of those eyeballs on your page over time, that's going to slowly build your audience and turn. Passive eyeballs into fans of what you do over time. And again, they become your next referral or recommendation, if not your next customer. So for me, I think that's a really good way to kind of hack an audience for free on social media, kind of using nothing but a bit of imagination and a bit of effort.
1: Yeah, uh, groups are massive. I would never, if I wasn't advised by people here to look at groups, I never would have discovered it or found it because I just would have thought, you know, what can you do in those spaces? What they also do as well is, again, like most things, when you go into those groups, what you'll find is there'll be four or five people within those groups that sort of dominate it a little bit. You know, they're posting every day, they're posting two or three times. You know, where we are, there's a guy that posts pictures of the sunset every day, really beautiful pictures of the sunset. Well, why not go and have a chat with him about his interest in that? Get that on camera. People in that community will be interested. But also then, if you're interested in that too, I wouldn't do it just to take advantage of someone personally. I'd want to choose someone where I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. Let's go along and see how it gets set up for those sunset photos and learn a little bit about it and have a chat with him. But then if if you start aligning yourself with that individual, then again, you're going to come into the, you're sort of coming, you've got the leverage, right? So I think that's really important. Again, it goes back to also being quite good fun too. That's not a bad way to make a living, is it? Hanging out with someone for an hour or so, getting to know them, learning a little bit about photography and their interest in taking a photo of the sunset every day, right? I I would personally enjoy doing that. Um, I also really, really like the um, more niche groups as well because I think the one thing about the big groups with thousands of people in it is that they're the most obvious groups to join because they've got thousands of people in, but they become the most obvious groups for everyone to join, right? And I would 100% join the biggest group in Margate, the biggest group in, you know, Grantham or wherever you are. But also I really like the niche group. So, you know, where we are, there's like the open water swimming club. You know, it's like 250 people in it. But again, it's like a really interesting topic. These people swim every single day at six in the morning and it's freezing cold. And, you know, I think dropping in those groups is quite interesting as well, because you can make yourself like, like a bigger fish in that pond, if that makes sense. Yeah. It takes less effort to be noticed. Um, you can also then you can do it. It doesn't, doesn't always have to be undercover stuff. Like I'm not suggesting anybody goes out there and starts joining groups with things they're completely not interested in, you know, why not? If you're interested in tennis, join all the local tennis groups. Yeah. You sort of killing two birds with one stone. Then I don't think I'm not going to suddenly go and join like the cross stitch fan club group and try and make myself because that bores the hell out of me. Right. And I, I I'm not doing that anymore. Um, so I think, I think you can make it fun as well. Um, I was just going to say prospecting, mate. Now, I guess I almost didn't mention that because we were talking about lean and prospecting can be a little bit more costly because stamps are quite expensive. You know, 50p doesn't sound like much. But if you're going to do 400 a month, that's a couple of hundred quid. I would still describe a couple of hundred quid when you first start as a reasonably lean way to do it. It's certainly a lean way to do it when you look at the response that we can predict you're going to get. So I would still put that in the lean category. You've still got options then to link that to your door knocking. So I know there's an agent in the network. I can't remember his name, but um, because it was about three or four months ago, I think it might have been Dan O'Connell actually said that he used to do his door knocking with the letter. So then he'd have something to give them as well when answered the door. If they weren't in, he'd post the prospecting letter and therefore he's essentially done his prospecting for free. Um, but prospecting houses on the market is a massive opportunity for new agents, massive. So for me, I'd put that as the most important thing to do for any new agent personally.
0: No, for sure. It's definitely a lean way of doing it, although there is an element of of expense. Um, The final thing, mate, and we will go on to the next question in a moment, but one thing that I wanted to sort of hit on is what, for me, is probably the most underutilized question that people can ask. Nobody seems to, but for me, this is where a hell of a lot of business can and will come from. That's by going to ex-clients, your existing database, regardless of what your relationship was like in the past, going to your inner circle, friends, relatives, ex-colleagues, neighbors, even, And assuming you're looking to, you know, build your business in the area that you live. It's just saying, listen, I've recently set up uh, my own agency. I'm really keen to offer the best service that I can for local residents. Who do you know who I can help when I say, do you know anyone who's trying, to, who's thinking or currently trying to sell the property, what's the first name that comes to mind? And I think we underestimate sometimes the way that people actually like to be helpful and see other yeah. people succeed for the most part. And I think, especially if you've got some kind of rapport or they know your name or you've had a relationship or you've shared a coffee or you've consulted with them in the past, the memory is going to start jogging and they'll be thinking, well, I'm not selling, but I remember you know my cousin's best friend's dog sitter's niece <laughs> was talking in costa the other day about how she needs to sell by april because she's found the perfect home in wales and she needs to relocate and people will be quick to kind of give you an insight into that that knowledge or, or to recommend your name to those people because again they want the feel good factor of knowing that they've helped you and they're helping you succeed. So I'm not saying that every time you ask somebody the question of who do you know I can help, I'm not saying you're going to hit the jackpot every single time, but again, you ask enough people that question, you'll open up enough conversations and you'll get enough appointments and and eventually get questions from it. And and again, it's a a, a free way of of, of getting your name out there and, and building, you know, that listing database.
1: Yeah and, 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 and I, I didn't do that when I first started mate it happened naturally so I've seen that happen naturally I remember down the tennis club when I first started business people would say oh how's it going and I'd almost go yeah you know okay because obviously month one and month two okay was the best I could say right because I hadn't sold anything and I was still at that point of growing it so I'd naturally just gone yeah okay and then it got to the point where I started selling stuff and I didn't even mean to start doing it, but at the tennis club, was like, how are you getting on? I'd say, um, oh, amazing. Oh, my God, I just can't get enough houses to sell. And I meant it. it wasn't, I wasn't pitching anybody. I just meant it. And then they started referring to me because I was jumping up and down about my own business. I was clearly excited about it. And it become almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy thing where the better my business went, the more I shouted about it. The more I shouted about it, the better my business went um and and i i, I didn't even do it on purpose so now i look back and think god i should probably have been a bit more sort of upbeat about <laughs> the opportunity when i first started really but i was just being honest how, how did they go yeah you know all right <laughs> um so 100 percent that works 100 percent that works if people like you and they trust you and they know you're an estate agent then you're off to a winner so um yeah i think that's a that's a good question agreed Next one's an interesting one um, and I get this quite a lot um, often from, I guess agents that are looking at the model and then also from agents that are sort of when they get to that sort of 12 month mark where they're getting busier than they used to. Right. So um, it's funny. I, I bet you've had that conversation when people come in, they're worried about not doing enough business. I love it after a year when they phone up and say, Oh my God, I'm spending so many plates. I don't know what to do. You know, help me out. And, and and somebody said, how many properties do, do do I think do I think they should be looking after? And it's just an interesting question because I know we have different business models at EXP, so there's not a sort of one size fits all. But they were sort of very keen to discuss, you know, very high level of vendor care. You know, they wanted everybody who's on the books to have a real sort of ten out of ten experience. So they're conscious that if they take on too many, that then. The service levels are going to come down, and before you know it, you're just a typical estate agent. Yeah. Um, so, did you have a thought on on how many properties an agent can look after? I know it's quite an open ended question, there, mate. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is because on one hand you've got you know the whole vendor care question, and I think the reality is the smaller your portfolio, the more time you've got to deal with the clients because you're more likely to answer your phone, you're more likely to be free to give updates or to do viewings at the drop of a hat or whatever else. Um, but also. You know, vendor care is one thing, but building a business that works for you and meets your financial needs or goals is another thing. So it's kind of finding that that balance of what do you want to do, what's right for the customers based on the products that you're trying to deliver, and also what's going to work for you as an individual and for your family and for your business financially. And I guess the amount of properties that any one person should or could be dealing with is going to be determined by and large by the average fees that they're charging. I mean, you might think. I don't want to deal with more than 10 properties, and that's great, and you can build a great business from that. But if your average fee is 1,100 quid, then we've got a problem because you're not not going to be making probably the money that you want if it is that your average fees are so so low. But then again, if you can position yourself with um, an end of the market that's going to pay you uh, 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 15 or 20,000 pounds average fee, depending on where you are and who you're targeting, then suddenly you've got a great business based on a small volume. So I think it just depends on, as we've said before on the individual really and on the business that they want to build what they need financially. But I always found for me, um, a stock portfolio of around 10 live units was a nice place to be because then I could be selling properties I'd be able to manage the progression. I'd be able to turn fairly quickly on viewing appointments. If I missed anyone's call, typically I'd be able to respond it within the hour. Um, and I didn't feel overwhelmed. I didn't feel as though I was chasing my tail. I didn't feel as though the business was burning me out. And um, so at that at that number for me personally, that was a good fit to give me a decent work life balance to pay me my financial um, expectations, but also to deliver for the client. But that's not to say that you know, my magic number of 10 is going to be the same for the next agent or the agent after that. That was just what worked for me based on my market and my lifestyle and the fees that I was charging.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm a lower fee, probably lower average fee than you. So my natural reaction is I've I've sort of averaged looking after 15, 20 houses, selling seven or eight a month. It's just been a a, a different. So I think it's it's important to start by looking at what type of business you're trying to build. Again, having a plan around a target of if I want to sell three a month at an average fee, this is roughly how many I want to list and therefore this is how many I'm gonna to have to be capable of looking after on the market. I think, personally, I think people are better to go over their optimum and come back. Um, So I think everybody should list like crazy when they first start. And I I would advise, if in doubt, take it. Um, Whereas the nice thing is, once you've got a nice little sort of, you know, war chest of funds in the bank, you can start being a little bit more selective. But I would say it's probably better to go slightly over your capacity and find out where your capacity is than it is, I know a lot of agents, no a lot is not the right word I know there are there's a sizable minority of agents that come in on the basis of right I just want to look after five or six I want to do this I want to do that and then they're so selective that actually getting to five or six becomes a challenge whereas if that were me I'd be wanting to go to 10 to 15 and then start replacing the stock with the quality at the end of the market I wanted
0: yeah and what, what what I've seen agents do in the past and it takes a lot it takes a lot of bottle and a lot of composure to do this but effectively say no the magic number is five the fee is two and a half percent no questions asked but they've built it successfully in such a way where they've literally capped it at five they won't go a, a property over but then they'll try and build a waiting list and it's kind of a case of if there's no availability in the portfolio now. They have to wait until a property sells, or I don't know, maybe if, if they say we list one property a week and we do a launch every Friday, that if there's a waiting list, the vendor might have to wait till next month to be able to list and they'll go ahead and they'll do the marketing, they'll create the video, they'll get the content, do the pictures, do the write-up, they'll get everything ready to press the button on the understanding that your launch date is Friday, the 13th of January in four weeks time and they'll kind of do it that way but i think it takes a lot of bottle especially in the early stages when you're not um you know benefiting from a huge wave of completions at that point to be able to say to someone no i'm sorry i'm at capacity like i can understand why that's a difficult thing and maybe not the best advice in all cases
1: yeah and I, i think i think i think there will be agents that do that successfully and i can think of one or two that have done it for sure um God, I don't even know if I could have done that. To be honest with you, no. I, I, I don't think I could have done that. One, no. one, I just would—I'd be too tempted. I, I, I wouldn't be regimented enough. I'd, I'd always be a sixth and a seventh. But I thought, ah, I'll just take you. You know, there you go. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I think, I think most—I I would say most people still need to chase a, a certain volume, um, and then because it's—it's—it's a—it's a much easier, quicker problem to fix when you're overloaded, than it is when you're suddenly at the six month mark of running your business and you've undershot it. So personally I would aim to learn my capabilities by going a little bit beyond how many I should have, which I think has been natural for us as well because of the sort of rush we've had this year. You know, I know I've ended up with way too much on my plate at times, Um, but that'd be my advice. I think, you know, when it comes to things like funny enough, when I started my business, I did a timetable. It's like, um, it really, really looked like, like your school timetable. So it's like, right, Monday, eight till nine, fitness. I'm not going to comment on how long I stuck to that for. And then it'd be like <laughs> nine to 9.30, daily preparations. And I had things like Thursday afternoon, no appointments, vendor care. And then then I started spending so much time in my vendors because I was doing my own viewings like you have, that I'd get round to the vendor care call and I'd be like, I had tea with them in their back garden yesterday. Or, you know, I, I saw them... In the high street last week and we grabbed half an hour. And so my vendor care became a lot more natural. And so I canned that in the end because I was basically just talking to everyone anyway, because it was only me turning up. And even things like um I had feedback catch up on, you know, catch up on my feedback. I didn't need to do that because I did the viewing. So I'd already got the feedback. Yeah, yeah. You can't get better feedback. It's what they tell you is one thing, but what you see is a different thing. So I was able to report quite honest, accurate feedback to people at the time. So I ended up giving myself a lot of that time back where I thought, right, if you've got 20 houses on the market, you can't possibly do 20 vendor care calls. You're going to need all day to do that and do it properly. Um, whereas actually, I didn't really need to do that. I was spending so much time with vendors. So um, I, I think, I think most people can probably offer a good service to a higher amount of people than they're probably expecting coming in. I think you've got more time in the week than you'll be used to once you're self-employed.
0: Definitely, and and also I think as well. Again, we'll move on from this in a second. But when it is your business, when it's your baby, when it's something that you've built, when it's a client that you've generated the interest from, and you've converted, and when you've got such a vested interest in the success and and the financial return from that deal, not only have you got the time to put that work in, you actually want to do it as well. You know, it's a very yep. different dynamic to doing something because someone's saying that you have to and you have to do it by five o'clock if you want to leave work on time or get your bonus for that month versus you know you having that complete sort of love and attachment to the business almost like it's your baby and you nurse it you know a bit closer for that reason
1: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um so yeah cool um next question
0: it's on you mate
1: is it Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry, Tef, so, This is I'm as prepared as ever. Um, <laughs> so you so, had a JD last night. Well, although <laughs> ironically, the question follows on really nicely for the one we just answered because, um, and this this question really really resonates with me over the last few months. Um, I've been asked, have you ever experienced burnout, and how did you fix it? Um, I thought I'd experienced burnout before, but I don't think I had. <laughs> um, there's a difference between being a bit fed up and getting to the point where your brain almost exits the building. Um, what, what springs to mind for you when someone says burnout?
0: So I think, I think it's a very real thing. And, you know, as much as, you know, we do plug the fact that In well, I was going to say in our kind of model, but I guess with any business that you're setting up, as long as you've got the right client coming in at the front end and whatever products or service you're selling, you're charging the right fee, it's very possible to build. A business by design that gives you the lifestyle that you want, with the relevant work-life balance and time with your kids, or you know, certain days off to spend time with the missus or with your, you know, your husband or whoever it might be. But on the flip side, it's also very easy to not do things by design, to take on bad clients, to undercut your fees or your value, um, to overload yourself, to bring on more than you can handle, and then find yourself on the other end of that scale where suddenly. You know, you're just firefighting all day long. You've got more business than you can handle. You've got new inquiries coming in the front end. You've not built the relevant systems and processes to give you the leverage and to allow you to service existing business or fulfill existing orders or existing commitments or whatever it might be um, to an optimal level or to a standard that the client expects. And because you're in this kind of um, world of overwhelm. You're almost just kind of combating problems and being reactive all day, every day. So I think for me, when someone says they're experiencing burnout, generally that tells me that they're in the center of a very reactive business and a business that's controlling them rather than they're controlling it. And it almost feels like you've lost control of the wheel of your car and the business is just going in directions that you can't control because there's so much going on. And as one person, you know, you, you can't handle all that's needed of you. Um, and that's, um you know, that's quite a dangerous place to be in some respects and agents that are quiet or coming in or at the early stages, they'd probably listen to me say that. and think, no, I'd love to have all that business. I'd love to have yeah. more clients that I know how to deal with. And yeah, maybe when you've built it to that point, there's that feeling of, oh my God, this is great. And I'm walking on air again. You're passionate about what you're doing and hopefully that shines through, but you're only human at the end of the day, no matter how, much you want to look after that client there's only ever going to be 24 hours in a day and 7 days in a week and there's only going to be so much that you can do as a person um you need to identify that the right systems and processes are build the right team to avoid that burnout situation because actually what happens if you get to the point where you do feel exhausted you are burnt out you are suffering you know physically you're drained mentally you're exhausted you feel as though you've got no power left in your batteries that's not good for you, but it's also not good for your reputation. It's not good for um, the client experience. You're not going to get as many referrals and recommendations because people haven't been maybe serviced in the way that they expected from you because you've took on too much too quick. So, yeah, for me, if someone's got burnout, it tells me that they've they've not built adequate leverage before they've got to a critical point in their business where they should have, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of us have had i mean i'm just over two years into running this business as you and you know the whole covid thing and the fact that christmas was sort of a write-off last year and we've not been able to take holidays has led to a lack of rest because it is if you're going away on holiday it absolutely gives you an opportunity to go right laptops going off i'm doing this but if your retreat is your lounge or your bed and you find yourself on your smartphone, on the laptop, because actually there were very few options of, of, over the last two years. Our options to get away from work have been fairly limited. And therefore you sit there feeling guilty, relaxing. So you find yourself half-heartedly working. Yeah, You're then not producing the quality of work you should because you're born out and tired. And it becomes, I don't know about you, I remember um, my experience of burnout was after about 18 months and, and, and not a normal age, 18 months like you without without two consecutive days off in a row, you know, basically Sundays. Um, and I remember my experience of burnout being, I got to the end of like a month and I thought the numbers were still okay, but I, I, I wasn't as enthusiastic. I wasn't as keen to do the things that I'd enjoyed doing before, which which was was when I noticed that it wasn't normal because they were jobs that I'd always enjoyed doing. Posting a video on social media, I've always found fun, Look forward to the reaction. All, All of a sudden I wasn't doing that. But the irony of it was I then had a poor month. I knew I needed a rest, but I told myself if I could have a good month, I could have a rest. So then I had another bad month. And I mean, by bad month, they're all relative. Income was still coming in. Things were still relatively rosy from the outside. But I didn't feel like I was performing at 10 out of 10 level. You know, I wasn't I wasn't bouncing around and and like I had been previously. So it became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy again, because I then couldn't take a break because I'd had a bad month. Whereas ironically, what I needed was a break in order to then pick things up again. So I think I think prescribing rest If you're burnt out is really important. And it was one of those classic things, Ben, you must have had this before, where you know exactly what advice to give to somebody else. So I had an agent phone up and it's great because I've still got the messages from the early days where they're saying, What if I can't list anything? What if I can't do that? And I've got these WhatsApps from this individual now who, if they listen, will know exactly who they are going. I need a team of three to manage all this, you know, I've got 120 grand pipeline, you know, and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 let's just look at what your problems were and what they are now. It's great. And I remember saying to that person, right, I feel like you're close to maybe burning out a bit. I would recommend that list of 20 things you've got to do, do the, write down the most important three, get the most important three things done today, and then just close your laptop. go and chill out this afternoon you know you need it you'll be fresh tomorrow and and they did it and I knew when I gave them that advice the advice I should follow and it sort of it brings me on to that I've always been so envious of sports people right for for this reason the money course and fame I'm sure is great but not for that I've always loved the idea that footballers and boxers and all the things I enjoy they get to go and train and play football really hard for a couple of hours every day But the best thing I always think about it is that rest is prescribed and demanded and contractual, right? So can you imagine being told right now, you've got to work really hard for four hours. And I really mean hard as hard you've got to work. But the benefit of that is I'm going to now absolutely insist that this afternoon you go and play golf or chill out on your PlayStation. How does that rest feel when it's prescribed? That must just be the ultimate like chill out. That must just feel great. Right
0: hundred percent. And that's, um, it's important as well. And I think you're right. There's definitely a feeling of, um, I guess, guilt almost really, especially as a business owner, when you're responsible for, you know, I guess eating what you kill, you kind of feel like you always need to be on the on the offensive, but sometimes yeah. just, just taking that minute or, or that half a day or that day or that weekend or whatever it's going to be um, to reset, to recalibrate, to get perspective, to recharge the batteries, it allows you to, almost take one step backwards to take three steps forward and i think people need to understand that the rest and being in the right mental space you know is 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 setting yourself up for success and allowing you to show up in a better capacity for your clients kind of reminds me of when we had rich thomasini on the podcast and you know he's arguably one of the most successful people certainly i've ever spent any real quality time with and yeah. um, we're seeing this you know, w- 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 with multiple sort of high-performing people that we've met with that you know they have designated times. They'll think, okay, 9 till 1, I'm getting on the front foot. I'm doing my offensive work. I'm following up on the conversations that I need to have and proactively moved- moving the needles on my goals to grow my business. But then I'm not going to feel bad about taking my kids to the park at 2 o'clock and going out for a bit of lunch and then having the evening off before I come back tomorrow because if you put your mind to it, you can probably do – eight hours worth of productivity in three hours and then give yourself yeah. that, that, that rest. It's just down to having the discipline to structure your days and, and work in such a way that avoids burnout basically. And keeps you. And I think it place. kills
1: procrastination as well, mate, because, you know, I know if I, on the days where I've got to finish by six, come four o'clock, I'm really hammering through that to-do list on the days where I don't have plans at six and I can justify sitting in this cabin till eight, half eight. That two hours worth of work just takes me four and a half hours anyway. So ironically, by prescribing that and and I'm really bad for I've been quite poor in the past for rolling a few things over some of my admin tasks to Sunday, which might sound like a good idea. But now I'm going to now for about the last maybe six weeks, I've had a if we haven't done it by Friday, mate, that's it you've chose you've chose to prioritize other things if it's not important enough to do during the week it's definitely not important enough to ruin your break on a sunday yeah. so now i never don't let myself do anything on a sunday ever yeah. um so i think that prescribed rest is really important and getting away from getting away from your business is important and i think you should see it as a benefit to your business being your own boss as you're the one who's got to pick up on it you're the one who's got to pick up on the fact you need a break and, and take one with guilt-free.
0: Mate, and just, just kind of final thought on this to kind of summarize it all. I think what it boils down to is that if you don't take ownership and if you don't design your life, then someone else will design it for you. And um, you know, that, that somebody else could be a boss, could be a manager, could be a client who's, who's designing your day. If, if you're not disciplined enough to say, right. You know, on Sunday, it's really important for me that I go out with my better half and my children and we get some fresh air or we go for a swim or we go and play tennis or we go for a countryside walk or whatever your escape is. If you're not disciplined enough to hold yourself to taking that action, then when someone rings you at nine o'clock on Sunday night and says, I really need to view this house tomorrow at 10am and my cash buyer, after tomorrow I'm not in the market again to view this property ever again in the future it's, it's easy for you then to say yeah yeah I'll be there at half nine don't worry jump do me to bring you a coffee on the way and suddenly you just start falling into other other people's plans rather than being structured enough to take ownership of your own week so I think that's really important and something that's something that's often overlooked
1: I I, I do mate and you know I've even said to an agent now like absolutely insist on winding down over Christmas. You know, this just is absolutely fall into the trap of just got to keep big, big bank balance now, big pipeline now, but still can't walk away from any business at all ever. And you, you find yourself thinking like, I don't know, do you want to make 140 grand and enjoy yourself or 155 grand and be stressed to the hill? Yeah. Right? yeah. Which, which of those two sounds appealing? I know which one sounds appealing to me. And that's not because I've made the mistake of falling into the other traps either. It's just funny enough it becomes easier when you see other people do it to spot it in yourself right
0: yeah no it, it, like you said when you give that uh, agent advice it was kind of like you know you probably wouldn't have give yourself that advice so i've been able to follow it but once you give it to someone else because you're looking out for their best interest you realize actually that's yeah. resonated with me and probably i need to sort of eat that my cook cooking yeah, yeah. exactly great
1: exactly. great
0: and the final question, question four, we've left this until the end very deliberately. The reason being is that the three questions we've tackled so far, I think, are quite universal, regardless of where you've set your business up and what your model is and whether you're employed or self employed. I think the, advan- the the advice there, sorry, um, is pretty applicable across the board. Whereas the fourth question is quite specific to EXP. So if you've got no intent or no interest in ever setting your business up with Scott or I, or if you're already an EXP agent, we won't hold it against you if you want to jump off the pod at this point but for those of you that are interested we're going to be discussing um how to join EXP now I get it all the time. People have watched the content. They've listened to the podcast. We might have had a conversation in the past and they've come to a point in their life where they're thinking, right, I'm ready to bite the bullet. I'm ready to put one foot in front of the other. Um, I'm setting up my business. Let's go. And they've got no idea what the next steps look like. So I just wanted to take a minute to break down maybe how someone initiates joining EXP and what the first few weeks look like to kind of help manage people's expectations for those of you listening that do join us at some point in the future.
1: Yeah. And I know you've just said for those of you listening, did you have it in your mind? Did you just have an image of a mass exodus when you said? <laughs> 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 those who don't want to carry on listening, we won't hold it against you. I had this image of going from like. 200 people down to like six so
0: <laughs> yeah no that exactly that mate it's like when you get to the end of a, uh, you know you're in school and you get to the end of the class and they say so for those of you that want to stay behind for extra maths that's great those of you that aren't can leave and it's like oh, yeah. i already left five minutes ago <laughs> i'm at my chest even spinning. the
1: teacher goes yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> nonetheless important question regardless
0: it is an important question um so yeah i'll, I'll hand it over to you mate so someone decides that do you know what? Sounds a bit of all right, this EXP thing. I guess it all starts with a conversation.
1: I think so. And it, I think like with anything, we, we have these dangers of um, of, of not just focusing on putting one step in front of the other. And that's basically how you do it. And you know, the first thing is don't worry about your business setup and the compliance and all the things that follow. The first thing to do is reach out to Ben or I for a conversation, whether that be on LinkedIn, Facebook or or you know, WhatsApp, whatever you want. Whatever you want to do, but it's just to have that first conversation just to learn about EXP. I wouldn't say I would say I'm yet to get on the phone with anybody that fully understands it based on our social media posts. You know, I think most people have a fairly good idea, but everybody comes up with a myth or two. That's always a chance to go, no, actually, this is how it really works. So it's just to have a conversation with one of us and understand first of all if it's for you. And you know, those conversations are. I think people probably expect to be pitched yeah. and often people are disappointed almost that they're not because, you know, the the way I view it is it's just an opportunity to to lift up the bonnet on the business for you to find out if it's for you, but also equally, it's an opportunity to find out if it's not for you. So that conversation needs to be very straight and very honest, um, which which I know they always are with you and I, Um, but it is just to get that first step done you know to have that conversation and then we will take you to the next step if that's the case so you know normally i would say the first the first thing is a conversation with your I, where we sort of go into the weeds as much or as lit as somebody wants to we answer any questions you've got about exp with our sort of two years of experience now i think you and i are in a good position to do that um step two is typically a, a, a sort of a more comprehensive Zoom call. So the first conversation is really informal, very much just a chat, understanding where you are and where you want to go. Step two is typically a Zoom call where we can go a little bit into, you know, what Adam Day always says, into the weeds, which is where we can start showing you things like the CRM. And I would always share my figures with people, what I've done from day one up to now, and really just lift the bonnet up on the business and, and, and let you explore
0: yeah, hundred percent, and for me, and and by the way, guys, anyone who is still out there listening, <laughs> and it's not uncommon for Scott and I to do these calls together. So if you reached out to, you know, one of us, you know, if you wanted to chat to us both on a call at the same time, we're happy to kind of hook up and and, and try and sort of get you in, informed as best as we can but ultimately it's just to give you a bit of a peek behind the curtain i guess so will put a bit more meat on the bone whatever cliche phrase you want to use but you know to show you things like the crm the functionality how that works um how we can help you with lead generation what the website is like yeah, yeah prospecting what what the behind the scenes support and collaboration looks like you know you and i talk a lot about the power of collaboration having community having support having other agents to learn from and and kind of help pick each other up you know as we opened up with this podcast kind of applying that to the christmas do so a chance for you to see that for yourself and realize that you know the things that we talk about on social media it's not just provado it's not just hot air it's not just a marketing exercise there's actually you know a lot of facts that goes behind that and the zoom call is a bit of a way for us to kind of show you that but equally And I think this is really important without making it sound like it's some kind of interview process, because it's certainly not, but it is important for us to make sure that we're also qualifying you for success and that we are setting you up in the right way. And if you came on to the conversation with us, anything less than prepared, if you had difficult circumstances, you didn't meet our criteria in terms of experience or for whatever reason, we felt as though you taking the plunge into this kind of model wasn't the right thing for you right now. We'd be quite forthcoming in terms of making that clear to make sure that if we do move forward, it is on the right foot and it is a partnership, and we're all working together from the same page to make sure that everyone succeeds. Because you know, ultimately, we're not in the habit of wasting anyone's time, our own included. Yep. So, um I think wherever you are, but whether you're very early stages and thinking this could be for me, or whether you've you know soaked enough information now where you know this is for you, I think there's always value in these conversations. If anything else, just to rule it out, really, so you know what the options are.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and maybe if you're ruling it out to have some sort of plan on how to position yourself so in the future it becomes an option again, you know, because I think people are surprised by that sometimes, that, that we're not just trying to encourage absolutely every man, woman and dog to join. I think that surprises people, you know.
0: Yeah, but I, ironically, I think it's that kind of quality control that's allowed us to grow because, yeah. I mean, I, I sent an email out yesterday, I was speaking to... I'll get into this really quick, but I was speaking to a guy recently who's actually joining up. He's he's, he's going to partner with us from January and he's ready to hit the road. I first spoke to him just over a year ago and I'm not going to go into the specifics of who he is and what his circumstances were, but let me just say it was very clear that setting up a business was not the right thing for him at that time based on quite archaic circumstances that he found himself in in his personal life. And I had a chat with him. We had about 40 minutes, an hour, just talking about the model, but it ended with me saying, Look, at this point, I'd normally suggest that maybe we jump on and I'll show you some of the tools and the CRM, we'll do a Zoom. But actually what I'm going to suggest is that I'll send you over some information, some, you know, a a video that you can watch just to kind of reflect back on, to kind of remind yourself of what we've discussed in today's call. But ultimately, I don't think setting up a business is right for you at this moment in time, not with the XP and not with anyone. And he came back to me. Uh, this month and said, I am ready to go now. He said, I just want you to know that when we spoke last year, I wasn't going to join anyway. I knew in my own mind that I wasn't in the right place. It was just an information gathering exercise. So, but the reason why I want to come to eXp is because everyone else tried to quote unquote, handle my objection and convince me that I should be setting up a business. Whereas you very firmly said, no, this isn't right for you. And you said, that just made me feel that you was putting my best interest above a KPI. And that for me, means more than the commercials of the model or anything else that I might be taking into consideration um so I thought that was quite poignant and, and, and just kind of really reiterates yeah. that point that it is a partnership and we are here to make sure that we're right for you but also vice versa um, yeah and I guess when it, when it comes to setting up a business that the one thing I'd want to touch on and again not in intricate detail but just to kind of manage expectations on this It's not instant, right? It's not as if someone reaches out to me and you and says, right, I'm ready to sign up. And tomorrow you're going to be selling houses. Um, We have what's called an onboarding process, which is a really important, but equally can be quite a tedious and at times maybe a bit of an overwhelming part of the process, but something nonetheless we need to go through. And obviously we make sure that we support people through the onboarding the best way that we can. So yeah, if you want to break down the onboarding process, mate, and, and kind of what's involved in that.
1: Well, it it sort of reminds me of, you know, if you look at any big task, even if it's, um, you know arranging a wedding is a massive task but the nice thing about it is what tends to happen is you go into the florists and they say what colors do you want so you agree a color then somebody does the favors says what color are your flowers every step just leads on to the next the nice thing about DXP is and actually we weren't here two years ago it was quite chaotic wasn't it when I first joined everybody did their best but I remember just being sent every bit of information all at once and just going wow oh my god that's just too much And even six, nine months in, I think agents still felt a little bit overwhelmed by it. But we've learned now over the last couple of years, a really logical and structured way to do it. So you will have your hand held from day one by an onboarding specialist that you'll be assigned to that's going to be saying to you, right, in the next few days, it'll be a good idea to um, apply for your AML license, to open a bank account, to register with the property ombudsman, you know, maybe tomorrow we can look at your insurance. And they'll break down the process one step at a time. To set expectations, that does not mean you're gonna enjoy it. Most people who join us, most people haven't run a business before, some have. Um, some find this bit exciting. The vast majority are salespeople like I am, like you are. We don't like doing admin tasks where we've got to fill out forms and sit still for too long, but it's a necessary evil. You've got to do it to make your business compliant. Um, but and that, that, that's have- the key,
0: mate, is, is to protect you and, and your business. Yeah. That, that That's the reality as much as EXP, because I think, you know, our disposition just speaking, well, I'll probably speak for you as well on this, Scott, you know, you meet a, a passionate, experienced agent, someone who's a real entrepreneur, you know, they, they want to get the bit, they got the bit between the teeth. They just want to crack on and start listing houses. I want that to happen in a heartbeat. Like I'd like that to happen same day if we could, you know, I'm, I'm as impatient as anyone, but it's important. These steps are followed to make sure if anything did happen, if someone tried to launder money through a property that you were selling, or if, you know, someone challenged you or wanted to escalate a complaint against you, you know, you're well covered and you've got the relevant bodies behind you to make sure that you can handle that situation without yeah. too much drama and, and sleepless nights. So whilst it feels like um, a lot to take on in the moment, it really is for the greater good, and, and that's kind of the main thing. But yeah, as you rightly said, you know we try and take out all the guesswork. We'll show you what you need to do, where you need to go, what kind of order you need to do things in. And then um, you know, Lauren, who, who predominantly works now on boarding, and Olivia – they're both amazing, you know. They do. We've got people who do this full time to help agents start and get on the feet when it comes to this. And also outside of that, mate, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, the onboarding process, whilst you've got those boring nitty gritty compliance bits, it's also the time where you know we'll we'll sketch up your for sale board. You can choose your colours. You yeah. can build out your website. You can get your business cards, your letterheads. You know, get access to workplace jump on the crm get your own right plus login all these things that are slightly more exciting that get the, the creative juices flowing and sort of see yeah. your business take shape that also happens um, during the onboarding process but again to manage those expectations you know in terms of time scales it can vary a little bit depending on how efficient the agent is and what they've already got and what they've not got or how you know, slow you're going to be, or maybe even how many agents we're onboarding that time. But I've seen people be onboarded in as quick as a couple of weeks. I've seen it take as long as a couple of months. So I think, you know, the truth is, is that the sooner you can get that done and tick those boxes and get those foundations in place, the more efficiently you can hit the road and sort of start building business from day one when it is that you are ready to announce yourself to your market.
1: And what about when, um, because I was look back now and I made a mistake of, of leaving a position because I was so excited about getting all the admin done and then sat there unpaid, getting the admin done for like three to four weeks. Um, it seems to be a smart move that what a lot of people do is they prepare a lot of the stuff that they can legally do before leaving a current position or certainly hopefully on gardening leave. Um, but it is quite a good idea. Some of this stuff takes time but it can be done in evenings whilst you're employed, right? As long as you're not active and breaking any of the contractual, um, obligations then a lot of this stuff can be done things like registering a business setting up your account registering for hmrc that can be done in the background whilst you're still earning so um, that can be a smart move
0: yeah or or simply getting the relevant advice you know speaking to an accountant should i be a sole trader should i be a limited business what's the best way to set up what the next so even if nothing else you know a professional who knows what they're talking about more than me and you when it comes to the complexities of HMRC and and setting up a a business structure, you know, you go in with your eyes wide open, you've got a path clearly laid before you. And when you are ready, you know, you can hit the ground running, but you know, again, that that's what we're here for. You know, you're in a network of experienced business owners who at some point in time have all gone through the same process. So, you know, I just say lean on any of us to get help and ask
1: advice if and when you need it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Um, Wicked.
0: Cool. All right, mate. Well, that, that wraps up today's Q&A. Four questions. Good pod, mate. I enjoyed that, especially considering Likewise. you're semi hungover. I think you did quite well, Scott. So,
1: <laughs> good to get to the end, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Go, go and get yourself yeah. a stiff coffee. Get Football Manager up and running. That's it. That's how mate. we recover. <laughs> God, All right, mate. Go and have a good day. Cheers, yeah. Ben. And you. Bye-bye. Ta-ra. bye bye bye